0: Okay, uh good afternoon everybody. Great to see everyone. Uh those who are regular, as long as are doing, joining us for the first time, nice to see you also. Uh great to have everybody joining us. Um or some we haven't seen in a little while. Um little. Um so okay, so now we are finally at the uh the final the final chapter here, I guess literally, of uh Parsh's And I wanted to um, talk about quite literally, quite literally the last few psukim of the entire sefer. Uh, the last few psukim tell again yet another interesting wrinkle in this story that uh, that comes out right at the end, and that is the request that Yosef makes just before he dies. So let's take a look right here, right away in uh, source number one. Yosef is about to pass away. And just as Yaakov is surrounded by his children before he dies, Yosef is surrounded by his children and his brothers uh, before he dies. One second. Okay, last time. Okay, last time, if you needed this it, it's in the in the chat. Okay, so uh, Yosef lives 110 years Yosef, Yosef sees Ephraim's uh, third generation sees great grandchildren great grandchildren etc. Beautiful, and he's about to die. So Yosef says to his brother, "I'm about to die." And Hashem is going to eventually redeem you. This language becomes code language for B'nai They are told, they are told as a misora for the next 210, the next 200 years or so, that when someone shows up and says these words, that means this person is the one who's taking you out. That's what the language that Moshe Baini uses. When he comes to speak to them, he uses that language, so Yosef said that's what's going to happen. And he's going to take us to the land that he had promised to our Yaakov that he promised to our grandparents. Great. And then Yosef says something interesting. He makes, he makes the B'nai Yisrael, he makes his brothers, take an oath. And what's the oath? Hashem is going to come take you out of Mitzrayim. Please take my bones out with you when you leave. Yosef dies, and they embalm uh, him and place him in an Aaron, and he stays in Egypt. Okay, so Yosef uh, makes a request. What's the request at the end? The final request he makes of his brothers. Let's make sure we're all paying attention here. To take his body out of Egypt. To take the body him. out of Egypt, exactly, right? His request is, and he doesn't just make a request, he acts, makes them take a Shavuah. We don't know that they actually take the Shavuah, right? We don't, we don't see them take the Shavuah, but the assumption is that they did, that Yosef is, that the brothers are to take, um, to take the bones of Yosef with them out when they leave Mitzrayim. Great. Okay. Okay. Uh, does that make sense to anybody? Does that bother anybody? What, what do you think about that request? Is it strange in any way?
1: Side, I have a side question, but like, why, like, why would Yosef assume that Egypt would let like, such a high-ranking important person's body out of Egypt?
0: Good. So, are they, so is it going to leave now? Maybe that's part of what's going on here. It's a good question. When Yosef gets buried, when Yaakov wants to be buried, he makes Yosef do the same thing. He makes Yosef take a shavua that do not bury me in Egypt, rather take me to Maras Machpelah. When does that happen though? Right away. Right away. Happens immediately. Right? At that moment, he says, take me out of here. I do not want to be left here. We we've spoken about this before. They're gonna make me out of vodazora. I'm gonna get uh, when there's when there's kinim, right? Uh, the measure says and there's kinim, I'm gonna get my body's gonna get uh you know eaten up by the kinim. Get my get my body out of here now, right? Yosef's request to the brothers is what? It's not the same thing.
2: No, he says, take my bones, which, especially if you're being embalmed, it's going to be a while before you're just bones.
0: And, and, and how do we know that he's connecting it with a long time from now?
2: Because he's saying to them right after, he tells them, don't worry, Hashem's going to get you guys out of here. And remember,
0: take my bones. So it's sort of saying, when Hashem takes you out of Egypt, make sure you bring my bones with you. Right. That,
2: that we, we again. But, d- Jacob was not embalmed, right? He was. Just-
0: Jacob was actually also embalmed. It's another conversation oh. why that's allowed. We don't usually embalm people. It's a whole conversation actually. Right. But but the point is that that Yosef clearly connects the taking his body out of Mitzrayim to the redemption of the Jewish people from Mitzrayim. This is not something that's going to happen right now. He's not saying, when I die, do me a favor, get me out of here. That's not the same thing that happened with Yaakov. He's making a different request. That is, when Am Yisrael leave Mitzrayim, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. And by the way, are the brothers going to be there when it's time for that?
3: No, of course not. Of course they'll not. They'll be gone
0: too. Right, they'll also not be alive. It's a whole discussion <laughs> they, they, maybe the Amishal took, took all of the Shvatim with them. There's Kever Dan in, in Eretz Israel. There are places where we find certain requirements of certain of the, of the Shvatim. But the only one that we know of in the text, right, that, um, that they actually take out of Mitzrayim and actually bury in Eretz Israel is Yosef. Rabbi Kron,
1: can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, if you make a Shavuot um, and you pass away, does the Shavuot die with you or do your children or grandchildren have an obligation to fulfill that Shavuot? Great
0: question. That's a great question. Um, it's a great question because clearly Yosef is asking is, taking, is asking them to take an oath that they can't fulfill. I mean, they, I mean again, right. maybe they don't know that. It could be they don't know, but the way Yosef is speaking, "Pakodi they're not slaves right now, right? So clearly, this is this is in the simple shot of the text. They already understand what's happening here, right? Meaning, the Bris Ben Avsaram was told to Avraham, "This is going to happen to them. You're going to go to a foreign land for four hundred years." God tells Yos, Yaakov when he's heading down to Israel, don't worry, this is part of the plan. Like, they all know what's happening here, right? This is not like, oh, maybe we're going to leave in two weeks. They know that's not happening. So you're right. It, it's clearly a shua he's asking them to take on behalf of their children and grandchildren. And it's a good question. Does the, does the halacha, recu, you know, can, can I take a shua that my grandchildren have to keep? I don't know. That's a good question, halachically, if that's actually, uh, no, it's a very good question. Um, I'm going to write it down. That's a great question.
1: And, like, was this, this is, so this was passed on from them to their children and grandchildren. Don't forget, you know, great uncle Yosef when you leave, right? I'm going mean, to skip you. Been, this was part of their lore. Like, you yes. have to take it with you, which
2: yes. they did, right? Yes.
0: So we find that, Yo- that Moshe actually does take, take his body. And then we find, go, I'm going to skip you all the way to, to, to source number nine. Let's go all the way to source number nine just for one second. It's the la- very last conversation, all of say, for Yoshua. And Yeshua is all about the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. At the very, very end. At the very end, it says, right, they, they did it. In the end of the day, they took Yosef's body. They brought it with them all the way. Everywhere they went, they took his body along with them. And at the end, they buried him in Shechem. In the area that Yaakov purchased from from Chamor, the father of Shechem, right, before the whole episode, with that, during the whole episode with Dina. Um, so in that in that place, that's where Yosef is buried. He's buried in Shechem. So they do it. So whether they halachically were required to do so is a good question. Um, even better question because the Shua happened before Matan Torah, right, and the burial happens after Matan Torah, which is actually fascinating, right? But uh, but regardless, they they had this mitzvah to do so. They had this mitzvah to do so. And Moshe Benu is the one that we're going to see in a second. The Mejishan Moshe Benu himself is the one who goes ahead and gets this done. Uh, so it happens, that's for sure. Um, someone put it, posted in the chat. He asked B'nai Yisrael, right? And not the brothers, right? Very good. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, they, um, exactly. It, what's interesting is that they, the Torah refers to them as B'nai Yisrael, not as B'nai Yaakov, which is very interesting, right? Meaning that there's like this sense that he's asking the nation, He's asking the people of Am Yisrael to do so. Um, and therefore, they're accepting Yeshua on their behalf. And yes, certainly there was a misora that this was what they were supposed to do. And they did. Fascinating also. It's you know, about 200 years from the time that, that Yosef dies. A little bit less. From the time that Yosef dies until... until uh, uh, it actually could be even a little less than 150 years. From the time that Yosef dies until the time they leave. But the fact that Yosef's, the place of his burial is known, the place where the Arun is, is known. The Medrash says he was, in the, he was actually in the bottom of the Nile, and, and the Arun comes up to Moshe Benu. But the bottom line is, even just from a very simple push-up shot level, they knew where Yosef's burial place was. They went and got the Arun, and they took it with them. It was like something that they knew about, because this was something they were expected to do. Fine. Um, but I'll ask you, why, why is Yosef so adamant that he should be buried in Eretz Yisrael? Why does it matter to him so much? How do you know it matters to him a lot? How do you know?
1: Well, he asked.
0: He asked, not only does he ask, what does he ask him to do? <laughs> By Yashba, he makes him take a Shavua, Right? The fact that he makes him take a Shavua, right. right, means he really means it. right? He really wants this badly. You ask someone to and take it, swear to me. He's also not just
2: saying, take me out, he's saying a specific, he's saying to take me to
0: a specific place. Yes, yes. Take me out and take you to Israel. He really wants to be there. Good. Um, but, I'll tell you, but I'll ask a different question. Why does he have to wait so long? Who could have who arranged this for him? Right away.
3: Paro.
0: Okay, Paro. Or Hashem, he <laughs> or Hashem. Hashem. Like Hashem
3: you know. could have asked Hashem, Hashem could have. I was just thinking, I'm just thinking that it was the brother's fault
0: that Yosef
2: was in Egypt for the first in the first place. Yes. So they, they they took him out of Israel. So maybe he's saying, "Okay, guys, you took me out of Israel," which I pointed out last week. But now you
0: better bring me back. I'm going to take you right now, Avigail, because you said it. Goes all the way to source number ten for one second. You're Machabim to rehearse.
3: Nice, Avigail. Okay.
0: All right. Look at the language of rehearse right there. Hold on one second. My sheets are actually a little messed up. Hold on one second. What does right? write? It says as follows. First says, right? It was not presumptuous of him to make this domain of them. After all, they had brought him down to Egypt. It was a sin on their part. Hence, he was entitled to impose upon them this duty. In addition, this duty and the bones on which it took effect represented a pledge for the confidence with which they could await their eventual return to Canaan. So two different points. But one of them is exactly Abigail's point. You brought me here? You're going to take me out, fellas. Right? We said we spoke last time about how he's not going to take revenge on them, and Yosef, in a certain sense, maybe can't totally forgive, but he's able to. So he says, Guys, do me a favor. Look, you're the ones who sent me here. You're the ones who sent me here. Do me a favor. Do me the chesed and take me out at the end, which is actually very beautiful, if you think of it. And, that, and that's not what they do. The same people, right, who, the, the B'nai Yisrael, right, who, who took him to Mitzrayim, what's the last thing he requested of them? Do the exact same actually undo it physically. Physically undo it. Take my body out of Mitzrayim at the end. It's very powerful.
1: Well done, Kyle.
0: Very powerful. Very powerful. Okay. Um, Wait, but, Rabbi
3: Corona. Yes, especially. Rona. The line has to cook salad when he says, when he's talking about Eretz Kanan, and he says, Asher nishpala
1: it's as if They're not members of his family, and then he wasn't like the fourth level of that promise. He's part of them, but he refers to them as if he's totally disconnected, and it was this promise Hashem made to these other people, and one day
2: it's going to be
1: redeemed. I don't know. It seems a little unsettling. Like he almost doesn't see himself as the next generation of that promise.
0: Um, it's interesting that you say that because we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the truth is, the very simple answer to that question is that's how the Avos always talk. Right? They always talk about their their fathers their fathers, and their grandfathers uh, and they don't talk about themselves. Meaning like they, they always refer to the, the promise that was made, even Hashem, there's uh, a discussion how even when Akash Sparrow talks to Yaakov the first time, he mentions Yitzchak. Because at the end of the day, we say that a person can't, can't rely on themselves right? until the very day, until the day you die. You should never assume that you're like in as a tzaddik until you're done, right? And that, and that Yitzchak is, you know, he says, he calls himself, um, well, Yitzchak is still alive. And there's actually questions in Chazal why he, could, why he does that, if Yitzchak, after all, was still alive and could have, you know, still messed himself up. So the answer, he was blind, he had no Yitzchak anymore. So you could assume he would be like, you know, uh, included here, but I think I think the simple shot is that Yo- Yosef doesn't include himself yet because Yosef is still alive. While you're still alive, you, you don't make the argument that it's still that's given to me yet. You know, I'm like, you don't like rely on yourself yet. Um, so I think that's a simple pshat. But we are going to see us in a second this question of Yosef's feeling. You know, is does he feel apart? Does he feel apart of things? But again, just one just one other piece. Just important to note to note is that we that we happen to know that Yosef's children are also high up in uh, Egyptian society. Um, and particularly, I believe it's Menashe, if I get the name them correct, that Menashe is like the, you know, the Chazalis point out that Menashe was the one who was, you know, there's that person who's the translator between the brothers and Yosef, that was really Menashe, and that Menashe the whole time was actually, you know, very involved in what was going on in the leadership of Mitzrayim. Presumably, he could have asked Ephraim and Menashe to do this for him. Right? Just like Yaakov asked his children, why does not he ask his, he his sons? Ask Ephraim and Manasha. If and Manasha in the end they become part of Banesha also. Right? They become Kiruv and would say. They just they had just been elevated. Right? At least in our in terms of our chronology, they've just been elevated to the status of the Shvatim. So ask your own children, what are you bothering your brothers for? And anything, you the brothers? You brothers may have no interest in doing it. If you really wanted to get it done, right, ask Ephraim and Manasha. I
2: have a question. Yeah. Um so is it possible that part of this doesn't say like Avam, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and me is also because he's got 11 brothers or 10 hmm. brothers or whatever. We could
0: have said Avam, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and us. Right, yeah. Could have said that. But yeah, yeah you're right. But yeah, but you're right. He wouldn't point out only himself. That would be a bad idea. The, tra- the track record is not good of Yosef placing himself separate from them. Um, that's for sure true. Um, but, but, the, but the question really becomes, again, like he's, Yosef is clearly super, very adamant that he wants to leave Mitzrayim and go to Eretz Yisrael. It's very clear. It is clear that he wants the brothers to do it and not anybody else, right? Uh, and it's also clear that he wants it attached to the Geulah's Mitzrayim. He doesn't want to go now. Or I mean, maybe he could, again, you could certainly argue that maybe he just realized it wasn't practical to go now. But it seems that he's interested in it happening specifically somehow tied up to when they're going to leave Eretz Yisrael. So if you look in the Baloturim, the Baloturim says something amazing. He says like this. Source number two, actually similar also to Avigad, the point you made before. The Baloturim writes as follows: source number two, by Yashba Yosef as B'nei Yisrael, Labanov. And he didn't ask his sons. Why not? L'fisha'amra lahem b'shem l'kachtem osi, Where was? Where did the whole story happen? Where were the brothers hanging out? when he came to find them, they were supposed to be hanging out in Shechem. They actually left. They went to dotan, To Dotan, But, right, he says, you, you threw me into a pit, right, right around Shechem, and that's where you sold me to Mitzrayim. That's the place where we're going to end up. That's where I'm going to go back to. And you're going to take me there. He's, he's telling them, you know, don't don't tell anybody about when the you know the when the end of days is going to come, etc. But what's the bateurim pointing out here? You could say it's just like a, you know Yosef saying, "Look, guys, this is your responsibility. You sent me here, so take me back." But what else could this be?
2: It's also a little prophetic that he starts out in a pit in and he's going to end up in a
0: pit. In <laughs> Amazing, right? Fascinating, fascinating. Okay, yeah, but it's
1: like a kapara, right?
0: Ah, like a... yeah. There's some type it's of like, look. What? Like,
1: to right a wrong, you, you know, not an eye for an eye, but it's like just a kapara. You reverse what you've done to make it whole again, you know? Right.
0: He can't, they can't pay him back the money they stole, right? But at least they can very, very symbolically reverse that which would they had done, right? They can reverse that which they did. It's very interesting. Um, so they kind of,
3: like, you know, you know, our words are so powerful, and they were basically saying, oh you know, let's tell dad he was killed. So then
0: his dead body winds up in the same place where... Ah, uh, where, where they said he had died. They ended up having his body in the same place where they had said he had died. Yeah, fascinating. Right? Very, very interesting. Okay? Why Look,
1: did he not want to be buried in, in Maradah Mahpelah? Like, why did he, like, did he not want to be everybody buried, like, in the same family plot?
0: See, yeah. I don't know how they knew. It's a good question. How did they know that, like, all the Shvatim couldn't go there? Was, was it understood? Sure, like, it's
2: like a family plot, no? Like yes. the families
0: are. But for, for whatever reason, it ends up, right, Adam and Chava, and then Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and his spouse each. And that's where it ends, right? right? The Shvatim don't end up there. Uh, why not is a good question. Did they know that like, there wasn't space? Is it really true that there wasn't space Mars Mara It's hard. It's hard to imagine. I, mean, I don't know. But like... Yeah. You know, uh, we're able to find space a lot of times in a lot of places these days. Uh, so it'd be surprising that there wasn't space. But yeah, was there a Masora that Maros Machpel is like for the Avos? Avos had finished, and now we're not going to end up there? It's a good question. And how did he know that, you know, again, he doesn't say, take me to Shechem. Right? The Baal ends that in. He's going taking take me to Shechem. It uh, never says, he doesn't say, he says, He doesn't say where to take him. Again, maybe he told them, maybe he told them privately, and maybe it's not recorded in the text. But we don't have Shechem as the place that is you know, that Yosef told them, per se. But somehow they figure out on their own, that's the right place to take him, which is fascinating. Um, take a look at source number three, which is an excerpt from the Chuma, Chumash Mesoros Harav, which is a, a beautiful Chumash, which is basically, they took all of the ideas that Rav Slavichik ever said on any Parsha, uh, the Rav, there's, there are very, I mean, there are now more, but the Rav never, I mean, the Rav didn't publish much of anything on his own, but uh, you know, uh, like you know, the Rabbi Soloveitchik on the Parsha, there's not, there's not really a swarm like that. There now are more, so they, but they took his writings on, you know, on different elements of the Parsha and brought them together on the Chumash. So in that in that uh, Chumash, they write the following. Um, God will surely remember you and you shall take my bones up out of here. The viceroy of Egypt, the ruler who by his smallest gesture had the power to judge his brothers for life or for death, before whom the brothers begged for their own lives as they pledged eternal subjugation to him, now makes an amazing request. Just to point out, right? The story that we're not talking about, we mentioned, last, I think we talked about this last time, is how at the end, when Yaakov dies, what happens, they come crawling to him. Yeah, you know, you'll say, please don't, don't mete out punishment on us now. Right? They're like so nervous, he's gonna, he's gonna just he'll, he'll kill them now because Yaakov died. And he doesn't do that, right? You know, he says, It's fine, don't worry about it. God, you thought it was bad, God thought it was good, we're, we're fine, right? But it's amazing how he's, he's the most powerful, one of the most powerful people in the world. And he turns to his brothers now with a request, right? The all powerful Joseph was utterly powerless to accomplish the one objective that mattered most to assume his place among the tribes of Israel. To have his name etched beside that of his brothers on the breastplate of the Koin Gadol. To achieve this goal, Joseph had to be buried in the land of Israel. What, what, is he, what does he mean here when he says this? This is more than just, uh, this is more than just Joseph wants him to take him out of Egypt. Right? There's a lot more going on here that the rub is trying I'm really to point
2: confused. out. Yeah. His brothers, where were
0: they buried? It's a good question. It's a good question. Where all the Shwetim are buried. Uh, some say that when they took Yosef, they brought all the Shvatim, actually, not just Yosef. Uh, but Yosef is the only one that we are, you know, told explicitly in this way that he actually, uh, you know, came with them. But but they, there's the Midrash in that they took all twelve. They took all twelve, you know, thirteen of them. They took them all out. Um, that's definitely a possibility that that happened. But but I think what's interesting, and, and the Rebbe is going to explain expand this more. But I, I wanted to take you with me for a second uh, through that's some. A
2: question. Yes. So it's also interesting. Um, it's also interesting because if you think about it from Yosef's perspective instead of from our perspective, it, it's almost like his, his family totally abandoned him. His nation abandoned him, and he's adopted by this other culture and religion. And, it's, and we talked about does he actually forgive his brothers? And this is almost like his way of saying, "I forgive." you Like I'm thinking about myself. It's like it's almost like I say, okay, forget Judaism when I die. Please make sure I get buried um, in the cemetery where I, you know, where my church was, where I grew up. Like it's it's a bizarre request when you think of it from Yosef's perspective. And we talked about how he didn't forgive, and maybe this is almost his way of saying, you know, I forgive you for everything you did because I am one of you. Ah,
0: ah, very good, excellent. So take a look because, Jenny, you're totally hitting on one of the struggles that Yosef. Faces. And a lot of the Farshim talk about this. One of the greatest, Yosef is like the hero for us. I and mean, this is, by the way, also one of the reasons why Yosef, the story of Yosef always comes up um, parallel to Hanukkah, right? Because Yosef is the godless Jew. Yosef is the Jew who is, rises to the highest levels in secular society, but yes, remains himself the whole time, right? He, Yosef is the one person, I think I mentioned this before, whose name is changed in the Torah, and yet his name, that name is never used again. He's called Safnas Paneach, but he's never referred to as safnas panech in the Torah ever again. Why? Because he doesn't identify as safnas panech. He remains the Jew in Gaulus. He he's Yosef, no matter what you know, how far he's risen, how much money he's made, no matter how the, the 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 class that he's now considered a part of, it doesn't make a difference. Yosef is always longing to be back as part of you know with, with his family, and we find it actually in a number of places in Chazal in the Torah itself. Look at source number four. When when Yosef is uh, is uh, accosted right by Aishes Potiphar. so we've spoken about this before. Also, he's accosted by Aishes Potiphar. She wants to grab him. To uh, literally, she grabs him to 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 sin with her. And what does Yosef see? Right, says the Gemara in Sota. He sees the face of his father. See the face of his father. Medrash points out he looked like he looked like his father. I and mean, he was looking at himself, right? But what, what? But what does his father say to him again? What this was a, this is a uh, you know, the Medrash is telling us some miracle that happened. That's possible, or the Medrash is telling us something that happened internally in Yosef. And what conversation does Yosef have with himself or with his father at that moment? Amar Yosef asidin al avne eifod bnei in the future. Hundreds of years from now, there's going to be a, a, a thing called the Mishkan. And there's going to be a Kohen Gadol. And he's going to wear this beautiful breastplate. And it's going to have 12 stones. And your name is going to be on one of those 12 stones. You want to stay there? Or you want it to be erased from there? So you, want to be, you want to be removed from there, Yosef? And it's at that moment that Yosef says, I can't do this. I got to be myself. And he runs away. Right? He said, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna be the, I'm not gonna lose myself and forget who I am. Yosef is continually struggling with the fact that he feels rejected by his family, but wants to feel connected to his family. How does he name his children? Source number five. Why he He says, God has helped me forget all my hard work, and forget my father's house. And the Mepharshim are like almost astounded by this this, this name for his son. He's allowed me to forget my house? He didn't forget my house. But maybe yes. Yosef on the one hand wants to stay connected to his family, but he's pained by the fact that he feels rejected by his family. Right? Later on he names Ephraim. Ephraim, why? on ye God has allowed me to be successful in the place of my affliction, a place where I had been Thrown to by my family, I found success. Baruch Hashem. Right? but he's he's always between the family he wanted to be a part of and the family he could never be a part of. Um, we've talked about before. Why does Yosef not not send a letter back to his parents? Right. So the Ramban says he felt he had to fulfill the dreams, etc. With Yalbanon every sex, Yisra'el, the idea that he felt that his father was in on it. Right. The last moments of his life. Or his the dream he has where he says his father's gonna bow down to him, his father says that's ridiculous. The next scene we have, his father sends him into the hands of his brothers who he knows hates him. The brothers he doesn't know what's going on. He shows up, they grab him, throw him in a pick, and sell him to Mitzrayim. And Yosef says to himself, well, What's going on here? It was all set up. I'm the ace of. I was rejected by my family. I'm out. Right? And he deals with this constant feeling of on the one hand being part of them and wanting to stay apart. I don't want to be erased from the aphode. And on the same time, Kinashani thank Hashem for letting me forget some of that because it was just too hard for me.
1: background is: does the Mephorshim talk about if like, Ephraim and Nasha knew what, what happened to Yosef and why he was in Egypt? Like, did they have any resentment or hatred towards their uncles? Like, what was that whole
0: Yeah, we don't, thing? we don't really know. We don't really know. right? I think we've, we have spoken in the past right, about the fact that the question whether Yaakov ever finds out or not. right? right some right. explain right. that Yaakov was told Right? Schwab says Yaakov was told right at that moment when, he, when, he's, when they revealed him that Yosef was alive he wouldn't believe them because they right. had told him he was dead. And, the, and, the, and Schwab says I, the love called very Yosef at that moment they told him. the others other, other reasons who say no they, they never told him. Right? Because the, Yosef didn't want his father to be upset at them and he never told them and that's why this whole conversation our uh, father said don't hurt us only happens after he dies because right. he never knew. So if, if Yaakov never knew presumably you know but we don't really know. Do you, do a know? We, we never hear that from them. You know, that, that they feel this sense of resentment or anger. If anything, it's difficult
1: to explain to them, right, why you're there in Egypt and your brothers came and
0: all the like friends weird. <laughs> it's kinda weird. How'd that happen, Dad? That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And again, it could be he told them and didn't tell Yaakov, but the the simple shot would be if you had to guess, what would you say? Did they know or not know?
1: I would say they knew. I don't know. It,
0: Presumably they imagine would.
1: Imagine and they didn't,
0: right? I would think that they did because there's too many questions there for them. There's right. too many questions, but I don't if know. But... With
1: the definition of his name, it's hard to believe <laughs> your child <glad laughs> right. name, right?
0: Right, it's like... right. Um, it's you a know. good point. Yeah, yeah. I, we don't really know. We don't, we never, t- I, no, sorry, no sources that I know of point to Yosef having a conversation with his kids. I don't know any sources like that. There could be there are. Uh, I don't know any like that. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great question. So, so, so I think um, a big part of this, I think, and this is Rabbi Salvation, we're going to see in a second more from him about this question of Yosef's feeling constantly torn. He's, he's not a part. He wants to be a part. That's one piece of this. And the other part certainly is the redemptive factor for the brothers, right? Take a look at source number six. Uh, what happens when they, when Yosef approaches the brothers? So <laughs> before they even shows up, right? They're preparing to kill him. And one brother said to the other, oh, the, look, "The dreamer is on his way. Look where he is. You know, look he's showing up. Let's pick him up. Let's throw him in a. In a, in a let's kill him and throw him in a pit and forget him. And let's see what's going to happen from his dreams." Just as an aside, it's so funny. I'm mean, not just funny. Interesting. The end is We'll see what will be of his dreams. And Rashi there says, like it's not clear who said this. Maybe Hashem said it. Because, like, obviously, if they're going to kill him, his dreams aren't going to, aren't going to take place. And others, and others say, What are you talking about? You're being sarcastic. It's like Rashi almost like, as, as if like, Rashi couldn't imagine like, someone speaking with sarcasm. You know, but like, Rashi, because Rashi's like, what? what do you mean? Um, but uh, but, and, but who, are, who is Isha Lachiv? So the Medrash says in Source number seven, Who is Isha Lachiv? Shimon Valevi. Who are the two people who were talking about killing, killing uh, who had the first idea to kill Yosef? It was Shimon and Levi. How, you know, Rashi explains in source number eight, when, when Yaakov goes ahead to, to bless, he gives his brachos, right? Sort of saying, right we, is they, are they really brachos or are they really, you know, a, a Musar shmuz But he says to each brother, he gives them their, their, their bracha. What does he say about Shimon and Levi? Shimon and Achim says Rashi, Shimon and Levi had the same they, they, they always go together, right? Shimon and Levi, right? They work together to kill, Shechem, to, to kill the people of Shechem and they work together to kill Yosef. Where does that come from? It says Rashi, Here, they, they said one to the other, right? Achim, Achiv. Same language here. How do we know it was them? Mi Im to my or Yehuda. It wasn't Ruven. Ruven wanted to save him. It wasn't Yehuda. Yehuda is the one who at least says just to sell him. You want to say it was the, the children of Bilhah and Zopah, they didn't really hate him, right? We know actually he hung out with Bilhah and Zopa. They got along. Man, right? is one of the younger brothers. They're younger than Yehuda and Ruven. They're not going to speak in, in, in their place. Who's left, the only two brothers available to be the ones planning the murder of, of Yosef. Shimon Levi, Shikaram They're called brothers, right? And that's why he says to them, Shimon and Achim, because the Torah says about them, It was Shimon and Levi together who were the ones who wanted to get rid of Yosef. Fascinating. Who is the individual who, at the end of the whole story, is the one who takes the bones of Yosef himself and brings them to Eretz Yisrael?
1: I don't know, but I'm going to guess Shimon or Levi. So, Moshe, Moshe Avenu. Moshe.
0: Moshe Right. right, right. Moshe Avenu <laughs> is right. from the tribe of Levi. Sh- the tribe of Shimon never really recovers, to be honest. The tribe of Sh- Shimon and Levi end up being spread out, right? They're s- split up. And they both have this burning passion, this fire, right? And Levy- Shimon ends up with all kinds of mistakes and messing up, and they, they become a disaster, basically. Uh, Shimon. It never really works for them. Um, as opposed to Levi, who take that power, that fire, to become Mila Shem They're the people who use their fire and their passion to become the people who do right, the Avod and the Beis HaMikdash, eventually. They're the Hashmonaim are Levim, Pinchas, Ben Elazer, Ben Aaron Kohen, Pinchas is a Levi, Moshe Rabbeinu is a Levi, Aaron Cohen is a Levi. They take that passion and they use it to become the greatest of the Hashem, right, and the leaders of Am Yisrael with that fire.
1: Did you talk about how they both got like the same punishment that they didn't get any land as a punishment, but right, like Levi...
0: Levi gets spread to around because they can't all be in one place. place, it's too dangerous, right? We don't want Shimon Levi to be in the same spot, correct? So um, yeah, we've spoken about Shimon Levi before. So, so it's fascinating, the, the redemptive quality here of it's not just Israel that will take Yosef out, but it will be the tribe of Levi that are the ones to take Yosef out Levi, who was the original one who said it's time to get rid of Yosef, will be the one who takes him out of Mitzrayim. Take a look at this, how the Rebbe Soloveitchik says over this idea. So beautiful. The biblical commentators ask, source number 11, I think, right? Yeah. The biblical commentators ask why Joseph did not simply assign his two sons, Venash and Ephraim, the task of interment. The answer is that Joseph was not only concerned about his final resting place, but about his very legacy. He was torn from his family, estranged in Egyptian exile for so long that he required a spiritual realignment with the rest of the children of Israel. To accomplish this realignment, Joseph had to repair the breach in their relationship with his brothers, a relationship that had been strained since childhood. He somehow had to inculcate love and respect where previously there had been distrust and fear. His legacy had to be redefined and redeemed. With acknowledgement by his brothers that, their descendants, that, that and their descendants of his pivotal role in the continuity of the Jewish nation. It's not just that they had to do tshuva because they had done something bad to him. That's not the point. But it's that Yosef feels like this, it's a very strange thing. Yosef was wronged, right? But it's, and he's climbed the mountain in a certain sense, but he never really feels a part of them. Till the very end, he doesn't feel included. And it's almost like, you know, like the kid who like gets left out and made fun of. And then, so then the teacher, the parent says, it's not nice. You should be nice to them. It's not nice to treat them that way. And the kids say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll be nicer again. So that's all nice that the teacher said to be nice. The parents said to be nice. What's the problem? There's still this awkwardness between the kid and the other kid, that kid and the rest of the kids, the bullies. It's, it, it doesn't make it better. The fact that they're done being mean. The kids still, the other child still doesn't feel included. This is, you know, in the, in, in the very you know, just basic way for children. But it's the same thing with adults and certainly here with the brothers. The fact the brothers had done tshuva in a certain sense and feel bad for what they did and they're embarrassed, and it, it, it couldn't totally bring them back. And even Yosef couldn't feel totally a part of the brothers again and part of that group. And I, remember, he's fearful. I, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm saying a chiddish to say that the medrash, when the medrash says that we have other midrashim, which others explain, are, are, are a reflection of the person's internal struggle. The midrashim about Avram Vinu, when he's at uh, Akedas Yitzchak. And the Medrish says the Satan came and became a river and this and that. So many explain that that, that whole story, those Medrashim are explaining the inner turmoil that's going on in, Yos, in, uh, in Avram Avinu. I would argue it's the same exact thing. And maybe I, the, the Rav is really explaining the same thing. That that Medrish about Yos, saying, Yosef, you want to be erased from the stones of the Aphod is the fear that Yosef had. I know I made it. I know I did okay. I know I made it through. But I'm nervous I'm not going to be included again. I'm nervous I'm not going to be part of this legacy for the rest of, you know, for eternity. Forget after I die. I I know I'll die fine. Me and God will be good. But what about my place among Amisha? They were very aware of their, you know, the eternal nature of these relationships and where they were headed here. And he's afraid of that. Let's keep going on in Resolv of This here. There is a subtle double meaning in Joseph's request. And you shall take up my bones. The removal of my remains from Egypt should elevate my standing from estrangement to an integral constituent of the tribes of Israel. In this way, the antithesis of Joseph's dream came to pass. Joseph figuratively prostrated himself before his own brothers as he begged them to fulfill his dying request. He was now utterly dependent on his brothers to attain his own redemption. He dreamed of them bowing to him, and now, in a certain sense, at the end, he's bowing to them. On the night when the Jews were ready for their triumphant exodus from Egypt, the Medrash relates that Moses delayed their departure as he searched for Joseph's coffin. In this way, Moses acknowledged the importance of Joseph and his spiritual mission as the paradigm of Jewish commitment in exile. Joseph had demonstrated that one could identify as a Jew and act in accordance with Jewish precepts, both in poverty as a slave and in royal grandeur as the ruler of Egypt. Without his example as a precedent, Jews could not have endured the centuries of enslavement in Egypt. And why was Moses so dedicated to this task? The commentator suggests this was because he was a grandson of Levi, Joseph's greatest antagonist. Shimon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of violence are their weapons. Levi was among the greatest of scoffers as Joseph recounted his dreams. But through his great descendant Moses, Levi vicariously acknowledged his mistake. The Talmud comments in the phrase in Exodus, And he, Moses, took Joseph's bone with him? Moses not only physically carried Joseph's coffin, but he internalized Joseph's legacy. Moshe acknowledged that the entire nation owed their everlasting gratitude to Yosef, not only for their physical well-being a gratitude that was already expressed, as foretold in the first dream, but also, and perhaps mainly for his spiritual leadership and example as represented in his second dream. This belated recognition constituted the complete fulfillment of the sun, the moon and the 11 stars were prostrating themselves to me. Could there be a more beautiful example of such obedience that, uh, uh, obeisance, sorry, than Moshe carrying Yosef's coffin on his shoulders? Yosef's spiritual mission on earth was now validated, his second dream fulfilled in its entirety. Right? The point being that Yosef needs them in the end to show him that, that his legacy is, is meaningful to them. I want to be a part of the story. I have, I have a part of the Am Yisrael that I need to give. Right? And Yosef is, his, his piece. there is so vital to the future of Am Yisrael that he wants to be included. And so in the end, he says to them, help me out. You did to me, we're we're good already. I'm I'm not holding you accountable. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to take it out of you. But now I need you to do me a favor. And 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 I think he could even argue even one step further that once he asked them to do him a favor, right? He asked them to do for them, he's trusting them, right? And by placing his trust in them, that's another way that he's able to kind of, you know, what's, the, what's the, the, the biggest issue in every relationship that goes awry is a lack of trust. And when Yosef is willing to show that he trusts them, do this for me, and I, I won't know what you do when you don't know. I'm gonna, be, I'm, I'll have died at that point. He says, but I'm trusting you, I'm asking you. And not just asking you to do it yourself. I'm asking you to teach your children. Tell them where I am. Don't forget about me and take me along with you. It's like, it's a very beautiful kind of closing chapter that Yosef in the end recognizes That after all this time and he had started with his dreams and his ruling over them and he's in control of them and it all came true and they bow to him, we're here to you, be your slaves. At the end, he says to them, but look guys, I really need you to. I need you to take me back after all that. It's a very, it's, you know, yeah, it's a tshuva for them and it's a, you know, it's uh, it's a way for Yosef to be spiritually fulfilled and be brought back in. But I think you could also argue it's a way to see, uh, you know, a, you know a reconciliation in a certain sense when he trusts them he asked them to do for him there's really no no greater way to show them that he trusts them to to make things happen for him
3: i had a couple of thoughts
0: yeah that.
3: so one is um Jostek never really was part of his brothers he was always the outsider so there was nothing you know it's not like restoring a bond there was no bond um so in that respect he's really asking him you know what I've always been the outsider can you please include me this one more last time? So I think that was a strong you know plea for that and the thing with Moshe which is really interesting they had like parallel lives because they both were like a prince of Egypt and I find that really interesting because i never really thought about how um, you know the the tribe. But the difference is, Yosef knew his beginnings; he knew where he came from, and acclimated into Egyptian life. Where Moshe had no clue, and he found out he was Jewish, and you know, really, you know, changed
0: his entire. Yeah, it's a fascinating parallel. It's a good point. It's a fascinating parallel that the the person who kind of like guides them for how they're gonna go in there in the first place and end up there, and the person who takes them out have a similar, like, pedigree. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's very good. That's very interesting. It's a good point. Uh, but I think it's nice. I think, I know, uh, we've been, this is kind of the theme throughout. It's like, how, how are we going to get through this Yosef and their brothers thing? And we're going to, don't worry, we won't talk about it anymore next week. We'll be on Sefer Shamos already. But I think it, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. We've, we've seen so many different ap- angles and approaches. They forgave, they didn't forgive, they did tshuva, they didn't do tshuva. But I think it speaks to so many interesting, you know, pieces as you always, you know, talk about the the human element here and but also, I think it's like the two, it's really, they're always working on two levels here. Because here, it's not just a human element. They recognize, they realize, right? The Avos always realized that they were working on two levels. They're working on their individual level, but they're working on the national level. They're working on this, you know, level that will be, you know, that will last forever. So, you know, Misa Avos, Simla Bunim, they're setting, setting the stage for, for a great nation, which they were promised from the beginning. was promised that. So they know they're headed in that direction. And that, you know, in a certain sense, Yosef may be saying, it's not just about me and you guys. This is about... B'nai Yisrael, right? As Sarah pointed out, this is B'nai Yisrael here. And uh, we want to see our legacy come out in the right way. So if if you send the tribe of Levi to pick me up and take me with you, what greater message are we sending to our grandchildren about who we can be as a people if we're willing to accept each other again? Which I think is very cool. All right.